0: Let's travel to an uncharted island, full of gargantuan creatures. Will we be facing mind-blowing action, or will the characters we follow be dull, boring, and without imagination? In this week's episode, it is John vs. Kong Skull Island! Hey and welcome back to the second episode of John vs. Film and also the second episode of the mo- the month of MonsterVerse or whatever. <laughs> I guess I don't have an official name, but let's go with the month of MonsterVerse. Uh, so last week we covered Godzilla 2014. This time I tackled Kong. Versus, well, it's not a versus movie. I guess I screwed that one up. Uh, we're not, we're not into the versus movie yet. That's that's at the end. It's Kong Skull Island. Um, I legitimately love this movie. It's uh, probably my second favorite of the MonsterVerse, even though I think it's. I guess objectively the best, even though I don't agree that there should be an objective rating to movies. I think all film opinions are subjective. I think films in general are subjective, but I guess if you want, if you, if you think of like in terms of, I guess, quality on a basic level, um, even though like I said, I don't like to think you know films that way, but again, people seem to think that this is the best out of the four monsterverse movies we've gotten so far. And I can't disagree with that. I do think it's the most well made one, but it's only my second favorite. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and start listing the many, many things I actually really like about this movie. Or, you know what? No. Let's start off with what I don't like with this movie, because I think that's the shorter list. Only because I do think it's legitimately hard to, or at least right now, um, after watching this version, that... There's just, I don't really have many negatives. It's really hard to find a negative to me personally for this movie because everything is well made. The one negative that I do think I have with this movie is the two leads, uh, Tom Hiddleston's character and Brie Larson's character. I do think the actors do a fine job. Don't get me wrong. It's just that these are supposed to be our leads. Yet they are the least interesting characters in the movie. Like they're fine characters. Don't get me wrong. They fill their roles perfectly. And there are some interesting things about them. It's just that they are they tend to fall in line with I don't wanna say generic. I guess average maybe. They are they fall in line with the average, you know, hero character type. I, I don't think Brie Larson's character is a love interest, but again, she falls in line with that hero. Typical action hero character, archetype with the badass female character. So, with the leads, I do think that does drag the film down a little. Just because, again, they're not really the most interesting characters. I guess I really wish there was a bit more depth to them. Any other negatives? Uh, I don't really have any. It's like I said, this is a really good movie. So I guess let's just leave with that one negative because I, I'm going to gush about this movie for who knows how long. Um, and when I get to John vs. critics, I guess I'll find some negative reviews negative points to add on to that very short short one item list at the very beginning anyways what I like about this movie first of all I think Kong himself was done fantastic there's this uh, mysticism around him but there's still like a human element as well that we can really sympathize and even emphasize to a point. There's more of that in Godzilla vs. Kong, but Kong Skull Island laid the groundwork for GVK. To that degree, we do see Kong as this ancient, legendary protector of Skull Island. And I do think the film's visuals help emphasize that, especially with the lighting and even some scenes where we see Kong appear from either, you know, behind a mountain or just coming from the mist. It's really cool to see. I do think what they do with Kong's character here is absolutely necessary for the character like i do think that kong skull island is the most important kong movie since the original in terms of the franchise not necessarily in overall cinema but to this particular to king kong franchise because they do things in this movie that allows kong to finally i guess step, allow him to step out of the shadow of the original. Because if you look back at Kong's film history, he seems so tied to the original as the, you know, I mean, the first one's iconic. The first, then we got him in King Kong vs Godzilla, and they do borrow, you know, a lot of tropes from the original, like island, taking him off the island, you know, Damsel in Distress, all that, which was fine. This was Kong's third movie. I mean, technically second because Kong wasn't in Son of Kong, it was the Son of Kong. But uh, even then, we get to King Kong Escapes, he's still in those trappings of Gorilla, giant gorilla on an island, falls, you know, it, like adores. Human, like female human protagonist, uh, gets removed from the island. Bad things happen, even though there's a lot like it's a spinoff of a cartoon, a Rankin Bass cartoon from the 60s. And I do enjoy Ken Kong's Escapes, it still falls under that trap of it being under like having to follow the original to an extent. And then when we get to the 70s reboot for King Kong, it's just a retelling of the original plot. You know, just a bit more modernized. And it was that was a bit of a boring movie, not gonna lie. I have not seen King Kong Lives, but I've heard things about that movie. I will not go more into that. And then you get to 2005 king kong which again was a retelling of the original granted i really love the uh 2005 king kong movie i do think it does a great job fleshing out the original however again it is still fundamentally tied to the original so king kong had so much trouble throughout the years even though he's been you know he's existed longer than Godzilla. Godzilla has more vitality because he has explored many different genres. Um, okay, maybe not many, but different genres, and he has been portrayed differently more than King Kong. Here, though, we get some more twists on the original movie, and one thing I really like—the one thing I really like about Brie Larson's character. Is the relationship she has with Kong. It's not. It's a different sort of relationship. Than we've seen. In the previous movies. When it comes to Kong. And the female protagonist. And here it's more like. A relationship. Out of respect. More than. Either admiration. Or romance. If you want to get into that. You can definitely argue that with the 70s one. You can sort of argue that with... uh, No, you can argue that with the 2005 one. Uh, The the original one is a bit... That's a... I don't know. You can argue it, but I don't think it's a strong argument for the original. But again, this is more of a... Like a respect for... The like uh, Brie Larson's character, I forgot her name. Forgive me. I, I should probably pull up the IMDB page for this movie so I can start naming the characters. But what, what's the fun in that? What's the fun in that as I'm doing it right now? So I'm not going to edit this out. So this I'm sorry, guys, but let me find this real quick. Kong Skull Island please load a bit faster there we go because I'm tired of saying Brie Larson's character Uh, Mason Weaver there we go so with Mason and Kong's relationship it's more Kong has seen Mason actually care about the life on Skull Island and her good-hearted nature and he more so respects her for it. And Mason Reaver, on the other hand, she sees Kong as this deity or this legendary figure. There's this mutual respect and it's I do think it does enough twisting of the you know romance cliche between the lady and the beast, where it feels different. And I do love how this movie is completely set on Skull Island for the most part. I do generally think that was a smart decision. And I literally love, legitimately love how they pulled in the Vietnam War and how the Vietnam War really fits well into the whole. Going on to Skull Island, that journey to this mysterious land, or I guess in this case, Americans invading this land. I do, I think this, it really does tie well together. And it's kind of surprising that the 70s movie didn't tackle the Vietnam War, quite honestly, but here it's done really well. And speaking of the Vietnam War, I absolutely love the side characters in this movie. A lot of, especially the the soldiers, the U.S. soldiers that are coming from the end of the war, feeling like this war was, you know, worth it. Or, or, or should I should say, only one character was having. Doubts about, or I guess, questioning what this war even meant. Like, did it even really matter? And that was Packard, because every other soldier wants to go back home. It was Packard that wanted to return to the war because he felt that the war gave him meaning. Now, him and, on Skull Island, he found a new meaning by. Trying to kill Kong. And he is such a great antagonist to Kong. I don't think we've seen such an antagonist in a Kong movie before. Like, sure, we've gotten the rich tycoon or the eccentric filmmaker in previous movies. Or if you want to go with King Kong Escapes, Doctor Who. (laughs) That is his name. I didn't make that up. And no, he doesn't travel through time in a police phone box. Anyway, Packard, he is such a deranged, yet somewhat sympathetic villain. There's like such a, there is a three dimensionality with him. Because, again, you kind of sympathize with him not having. Or at least not feeling any meaning. After. This war. That has killed so many. you know, Historically speaking. And that ultimately was. A fruitless effort. For the US. And now he is. Got, he's at a place where he can find. New meaning. And can place his rage. Against Kong. Who did kill his men. Albeit. In response to Packard's men throwing bombs all over Skull Island, it, it just kind of shows the nature of war. In that one scene, the Kong, that one scene with Kong's uh, introduction. I know I'm going like tangent, 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 but there's a lot of good stuff to this movie. And yeah, it also creates these epic human versus kong moments i do think this just and also hang on i i gotta refocus myself i'm just i'm gushing i am gushing for this movie so let's go back to packard his want and destruction and how the island also makes him more range more on hinge as he he's on an uphill battle and losing poorly let's be honest and not only is he a great antagonist to kong he's a great antagonist to the rest of the characters because you can make the argument everyone who dies on the island is packard's fault now Maybe not everyone can agree with this, but I legitimately think if Packard didn't, because here's the thing, Packard had multiple times, right, multiple moments in the movie at the beginning, to say, no, let's not go on the island. Let's get every these you know all these soldiers back home to their families to their loved ones. But again, he. Has so driven to find this. What's the word for it? I guess. Calling his own. I probably said it before. But I probably forgot it. Thanks. Thanks mind. Thanks for not working with me. Uh, His own meaning. There we go. He's trying to find meaning in his life. And that desire. Is outweighing. The lives of the others. His own selfish desire. And even after the island. After Kong. Killed a lot of his men. He puts his men in risk for a fruit. And. I'm trying to find the word. The right word for it. Meaningless. This meaningless. Okay. Maybe not meaningless. Um. I'm trying to think. Pointless. I guess pointless. uh, Journey of revenge. Against Kong. He has gotten. More men killed. Because of that. And even after he's gotten evidence. Like. Hey. Kong is not the enemy. He still wants to go after Kong. Because Kong is his purpose. That's his. Killing Kong. That's what is driving him. To even live at this point. And even after the journey to get Jack to, you know, get to save Jack becomes. Well. Ah. Uh, shoot. I, my mind is scatterbrained right now. I'm sorry. I apologize completely. After you know, after they find out Jack died from a skull crawler, Packard still wants to get weapons to kill Kong. And it just shows this spiraling journey for this character. And the rest of the soldiers too are very interesting, or at least very entertaining. You got to really empathize with them as well and I've gotten to enjoy the company like I really like Brooks and Cole's relationship. No, no, I'm sorry, not Brooks, but Mills and Cole's relationship. Those two are really great comedic reliefs, especially Cole. I love how he nonchalantly starts eating after the Kong attack and Mills is like, are, are you seriously eating right now? We just got taken down by a giant ape, and Cole is like, "Yeah, we did the best we can. Doesn't much to it." Um, I do think the standout character is John C. Riley as Hank Marlowe. and I'm gonna go as far as to say I think this is my favorite John C. Riley role because. Going into this movie, I expected John C. Riley to be the comic relief, and to an extent, he is a comic relief. However, there is a lot of there's a lot of history with his character, with him being on the island since World War II and being friends with a Japanese soldier who unfortunately died from a skull crawler. There. I think it really shows John C. Riley's acting chops here to do more semi-serious roles, I guess. And I think he fits this character perfectly. Someone who's out of touch with time because he's been stranded on an island for 25 to 30 years. He is a man from World War II who finally has hope that he can get off the island and he does like i'm so glad that they didn't pull a godzilla 2014 because like in that movie they killed off brian cranston the most interesting character at the beginning of the movie but here they gave john c Riley's character a happy ending Oh, I think that's a train coming. So, apologies if it gets noisy. I do live by a train uh, or a railroad track. I mean, I live by trains coming by. <laughs> but yeah, and again, I really love John C. Riley's character. The fact that he's Survived for so long, his little mannerisms, how he asks about questions like, "Hey, did we win the war?" And Tom Hilston's character, he's like, "Which one?" And John C. Riley's character, John, uh, was it John (laughs) Marlowe? Hank Marlowe. Sorry, Marlowe goes, "Yeah, that makes sense." Yeah, and just, and also him like joking about his sanity, and all that. Just these little moments that I think he makes a very standout character and also makes a very like a mirror to Packard where Packard's sanity is like he's going more into darkness while Marlowe never went into the darkness and always saw the light at the end of the tunnel and it shows Packard's Packard ends up uh being killed by Kong. He fell into darkness and the end result was his demise. While Marlowe, he always kept hope for light at the end of the tunnel and still kept fighting for that light. And his reward is that he finally gets to go home to his wife and his son. And he gets to enjoy a hot dog and a cold beer while watching a Chicago Cubs game. Also, I want to say the battles and the cinematography are great. I love the use of lighting here, especially the when Kong like stands up in front of the sun on that like sunset visual. It's I'm I can't uh, I can't argue with. The marketing team. For using that shot for the posters. Because it's a great shot. It's very colorful. And. It shows. uh, I guess the beauty. Yet also the danger. Of Skull Island. It's. And also kind of the era of the Vietnam War. All in one. And also having daylight battles. It helps. I know a lot of. There's a lot of discourse between daylight, uh, battles, daytime battles. But I do think the battle with Kong and the Skullcrawler at the end was very well done. Also, one thing that, another thing I should say that this movie does to really help give Kong as a franchise vitality is by taking a very obscure creature from the original movie and making it into part of Kong's rogue gallery. Creating a rogue gallery that's not just the uh, dinosaurs. Like an actual original villain. Again, based off a very obscure creature that we've seen that we only get like a second of in the original movie. And I think that's very, that's, that gives, but this movie deserves an, an applause. All right. Woo. Uh, Again, I apologize for me being everywhere. That's just how my scatterbrain mind works. I struggle to, (laughs) I guess, articulate my thought. I guess my brain works a bit faster than my mouth. That's the best way to describe it. I I can go on and on about this movie, as you can probably tell. But we're reaching the half an hour mark, so I think I need to wrap this up. So overall, as you can probably tell, really love this movie. I do. It's my it's my second favorite other than the main leads being a little disappointing and I'm I know I did not mention a lot of things okay you know what there's one thing I want to mention I absolutely love the end credit scene I mean that was my Nick Fury showing up at the end of Iron Man When we see The surviving Some of the uh, Surviving members Of the expedition In the monarch interrogation room And they go through clips And they show cave paintings Of Rodan, Mothra, Ghidorah Godzilla fighting Ghidorah And then at the end With Godzilla's war It was I was so hyped for King of the Monsters like legit, oh yeah, that is definitely the train. So, uh, again, that's it for my overall thoughts. I really enjoyed this movie. That is definitely the train. Yeah. So, we'll be right back with John versus Critics. And we'll see what some negative reviews have to say about this movie. Alright, so I got four reviews... One from Letterboxd, two from IMDb, and a long one from, I believe it's, uh, the site is called culturist.com. Let's start off with that one. That's uh, from more of the, I guess, professional critic or, or whatever you would like to call it. I found this on Rotten Tomatoes. So, the title is called Kong, Skull Island, Same Kong, New Problems. And this review was written by Kristen Lopez. And it was around the time Kong Skull Island came out. So, starts off with, King Kong looks great, but is hobbled with a generic script interested in borrowing from the past. With no regard for the present. Okay, so. We... all right. You know what? Let's see where this goes because I don't. It's not even the script part. It's more of the borrowing from the past with no regard with the for the present. I'm probably gonna go back onto it, but let's continue. Next year will mark 85 years since audiences were first dazzled and awed by behemoths known as King Kong. Since then, Kong's gone bayer, gaudier, and somehow chinsier. I think that's how you spell uh say it, chinsier. <laughs> I I don't know what that means, but okay. Then he should be. In 2005, Peter Jackson attempted to revitalized King Kong, but only succeeded in showing the ape story wasn't built for an over two hour film. Okay, we're already disrespecting the Peter Jackson version, so clearly, this person and I have a very different set of opinions, because I certainly enjoyed the 2005 Peter Jackson version. Anyways, unfortunately, director Jordan V. Roberts hasn't learned from Jackson's mistake. What what mistake is that? A franchise like this, whose roots run so deep into cinematic history, becomes too colossal an undertaking for the neophyte director. Whose previous experience was with the fun summertime comedy *King of Kings of Summer*. Sorry about that. There's life in the old ape yet, but he sinks like the Titanic. A reference you'd be surprised isn't made in the film. So, does this person have? Okay, sure. Is the problem with the runtime? Which I don't agree with. I mean, personally, I actually do like long movies. I agree there, there are some movies that are longer than they should be, or, or have like too much fluff. But I do really enjoy long movies. Not all movies have to be shorter than two hours or around two hours. I like one of my favorite movies is Seven Samurai, and that's three and a half hours long. Yet. Even for this case, the pacing, I would agree is, like, I would say is the Kongsko Island's great, one of its greatest uh, strengths is how well paced it is. It doesn't feel too long or too short. It just feels right, like, literally just right. And see, oh, and okay, so we're going to go. A little bit back with the borrowing from the past mark made earlier, because I feel like this critic is complaining about references being made to previous movies. Now, the thing is, one, this is a period piece taking place during Vietnam War, and to so gain inspiration of other Vietnam War movies like. Apocalypse Now, which is an obvious reference, I think is great. And as an artist myself, if you don't know, I do make art. I'm also making a game right now. I don't have details on it yet, but I myself as an artist, I know for a fact that the originality, what people think is about original. What think uh, re- originality is. doesn't exist. Literally. St- the greatest artists. Steal. Like us artists are thieves. Because we take. References and inspirations. From so many different things. And the more you have. The more you can cobble up. Something that seems more original. But. It really is. I mean. If you think of David Bowie He flat out admits that he takes I mean also The late David Bowie may he rest in peace But anyway he, There was an interview with him Where he admits that yeah he steals All the time As an artist you steal So Making references Is not inherently Bad and Nor do I think it's wrong in this movie, especially since it's taking, you know, making a Vietnam War movie. Anyway, let's continue on. There's nothing wrong with a big, dumb monster movie. It's just that Kong Skull Island is extra big and super dumb. Um, extra big. Are we not sure it's extra big times two, or, I don't know, how does short uh, shirt size work on giant monsters, and super dumb, I mean, it's not, like, the movie's not outing out to be the smartest movie ever made, uh, dumb, though, I, I don't know, I don't, agree with that I think there's a lot there's a lot of substance that some people don't pick up on in these giant monster movies where they think they're dumb but really there is more to them than just being dumb action flick continuing on the basic tenets of a pleasing creature feature are present and counted for a host Of large creepy crawlies, a foreign locale, and just enough blood to get that PG 13 rating. I think this movie pushes the PG 13 rating quite a bit. Like, they were. Like, some of those deaths were freaking gruesome, even for PG 13. They were definitely pushing the rating in this movie. The various creatures trotted out often feel like carbon copies from past films. At one point, Kong rips open a lizard creature's jaw and a scene directly translated from Jackson's 2005. Remake. Okay. Well, here's the thing. Kong ripping up a giant dinosaurs, like, or lizard like creatures mouth is kind of a staple to the franchise. And that's not just the 2005 remake, that's from the original as well. It's a callback, it's, it's, uh, I'm trying to think. I don't want to say it's a trope, but it's, it's one of Kong's calling cards, I guess would be the best way to put it. It's, uh. I'm trying to think of a good comparison because there are good comparisons. I just can't think of any on the top of my head. But I hope you guys know what I mean. It's not just, oh, there we go. It's ripping off the 2005 remake. No, it's, I mean, look at Kong's history. And you can see Kong has been ripping jaws since his first movie. Also, the creatures in this movie are actually quite different than previous movies from uh, what I remember. Because if you look at previous movies, they mostly focus on dinosaurs. Like the T-Rex, the Stegosaurus, Triceratops, Blah. I'm not going to say all their names right now, but... You don't get a lot of mammal-like creatures, which Kong Skull Island did, uh, like that bison. And of course, uh, there was that octopus that was a callback to King Kong versus Godzilla, and that, I think, is a fitting ca- a callback. Considering that Kong Skull Island is in the same universe as Godzilla, like Legendary's Godzilla in the MonsterVerse, so it was a good callback. And even the spider, which we've seen giant spiders before, but I think this giant spider was interesting because its legs were... and looked like bamboo trees. That was cool. That was something that wasn't in previous movies. Or... And there was that uh, one bug that looked like a tree log. It just showed that... uh, I felt like there was more uniqueness on this Skull Island than the previous movies, to be quite honest. I'm I'm questioning whether or not you actually watched the previous movies. Anyway, let's continue on. Others like the overly large bison slash water buffalo creature look good, but do little to give us a sense of the island itself. We know there are pterodactyl birds, Okay, okay. Pterodactyl birds that have like freaking buzzsaws for beaks. Yeah. But the presence of average deer implies not all animals are evolved. After making the delightful Kings of Summer, it's questionable why Vo Roberts was picked for this. His camera trickery is proficient, but he's overly reliant on slow motion and fire shots. Than telling a compelling story. Um, I mean, who doesn't like a good slow-mo shot? I mean, to be fair, I guess there might have been one or two scenes that slow-mo could have been eased off, but I think the slow-mo was... Done pretty well. It was a stylistic choice. And fire shots. I don't know what you mean by fire shots. Are you talking about. Um, explosion shots. Like when we see explosions. I don't know what you mean by that. I, I generally don't. Then telling it. And the compelling story. What are you expecting? Um, first of all. Like, what is your definition of compelling story? Because in my opinion, I like the story of Kong Skull Island. I genuinely do. Because it tells a story of, you know, a group of soldiers who are stuck on an island and want to get back home. It There is a story of how war has... It's like how it harms everybody. But it doesn't matter which side you are. There is an anti-war message. As well as kind of a horror aspect that. Was brought back from the very original. Because you get a sense that. Nobody's really safe on this island. Except for the natives of course. Continuing on. At times, the film's Ten Little Indians structure plays out like a pleasing horror movie as audiences wonder who is the next victim. The horror movie mentality could explain why the characters are drawn so transparently. But again, the horror has also been a part of Kong's history. People tend to forget that the first movie has very much horror elements along with action. It wasn't there was a sense of horror on Skull Island in the original movie and also to some extent the Peter Jackson version. So horror is no stranger to Kong by any means. Anyway, let's continue on with what she has to say about the characters. Tom Hilston and Brie Larson are far too good for this, and their roles as the hero and the girl give them nothing more than looking gruff and dominant and taking photos respectively. Neither actor's neither actor is bad, just ridiculously unnecessary. The rest of the characters are various army members who talk as if they're shame for the role of Jay Baruchel's character, and Tropic Thunder. Okay. Far too good for this. Okay, so I'm in agreement that if you listened to the first part of my podcast or this episode, you would know that my biggest problem with the movie was that the two leads felt there was a lack of interest. And not to the actor's fault. That I think I'm in agreement with. I'm not in agreement with the other characters. I think the other actors and the characters, they were an oddball group. But it gave them like a compelling reason for us to care, or at least enough. They were they were entertaining they were enjoyable to watch we didn't want to see them go there was this fun somewhat brotherly family dynamic between the army soldiers who all have share an interest of going home except for Packer Packard's the only one that doesn't want to go home and again I would argue who doesn't want to follow. The oddball group that maybe not the most in-depth characters, but are entertaining. I think that would, I think audiences in general would prefer to just watch that than say maybe more in-depth characters, but not as entertaining. And one other thing, I think there it gives the other characters you know again you know the way they speak and all that the army veterans it gives them a bit more humanity it makes you feel like these are the average soldiers they're not super soldiers they they're just the average guy average american soldiers in the 70s who want to get back home anyway none of the characters death sold Hold any significant weight And what ones do Are because of recognizable actors Involved Dear Billy I don't agree (laughs) I don't agree Because uh, Again there was Cole's death Near the end of the movie I felt I really like Cole as a character Because he was that one that Kind of gave (laughs) That had this like really Violent uh, Mindset But Sort of like Gave new Didn't give two shits By the way I'm I'm gonna just start swearing at these I I don't care Um, But yeah he, He was the guy that was like Just eating after Getting defeated by Kong like yeah We did the best we can what else can we do? I, I liked him, so it was sad to see that his character, you know, died and ultimately for nothing, unfortunately. As in the movie, he tries to sacrifice himself to damage the big skull crawler, but the skull crawler picks up that it was a trap and just smacks him across the mountainside. But it also, you know, while it does seem like hey, that death was meaningless, it kind of shows It, it plays. To the movie, theme. Of anti-war messaging. That it was pointless. That That's the point. That he shouldn't have died. Like. It's the point of. In war that there is no. Like all death is kind of pointless. Or, or at least that's how I picked up on it. That's how I read into it. Maybe I'm reading it. Too much into it. John C. Riley is darling as Maroon pilot Hank Marlowe. His storyline attempts to draw a parallel from this film to the 33 original and is infinitely more fascinating than what we're presented with. How does it draw a parallel to the original? Um, I'm genuinely confused. Because we didn't get, so, okay, John Mar, oh, Hank Marlow, I mean, maybe I um, can't, maybe he's named after one of the original characters, I can't remember right now, and I'm not going to bother to do research right now, so forgive me if there re- that is a reference to one of the names of the original characters or actors. But his storyline, how he is a man stranded on this island for years. We didn't get that storyline in the original at all. There was no previous visitor to the island stranded there for years on end. Also, the fact that he's a World War II soldier. He's also coming from a war. And he's also kind of, the, you know, signifies with his friendship with, shoot, I can't remember the other soldier's name, but the Japanese soldier, you know, how their friendship triumphed on this island when they were taking out of, taken out of the war and had to survive. There was none of that in the original. I, I don't know what you're talking about there. Other actors may have recognizable faces in a, hey, didn't I see them in something way, but they're too often introduced, given a root set of stakes, two weeks from retirement, I have a wife and child, and die quickly. Their deaths register a little more than, uh, aw, what, what was that character's name? No, 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 no. I well, first of all, that's mostly with the army soldiers. Like the one character, I okay. To be fair, I can't remember names, so maybe she has a point with that. But in general. I'm horrible with names anyways. But I remember the. One soldier who was writing notes for his son dear Billy. I think in that yeah, In that one case. She has a point. But when it comes to. Cole. Who. well, We don't even really know. Who's waiting for him when he gets back home. You know his death was a. Was uh, That was kind of sad, especially since we saw the other soldiers actually really grieve for him, you know, or at least trying to save him. But then you got Rhonda, who was a man, man of science, who, I guess kind of like Icarus, flown too close to the sun in one sense. There's Packard of course Like His death was Iconic because he was a man That could not escape war And ultimately that was his demise And then you got some Random people of course Then you got the two two, uh... Okay you know what Maybe she's right about the forgettable But I think the deaths were more of like To show how horrific This island is to normal people how It's a strong survival of the fitness situation. But again, me you know what? I'll give it. I'll give it because I, I was trying to make a point, but I guess my argument's not strong enough. Similar to the Legs of Rogue One, a Star Wars story, it's worth questioning whether the editing process removed moments where the audience could not bomb I'm sorry, could bomb with the characters. John Goodman as a scientist Bill Ronda access to Gallus who gets the group to Skull Island. He wants to prove that monsters exist, because apparently the aliens in Ten Cloverfield Lane weren't enough for him. Okay, that was a I guess a jab at that movie. I haven't seen Ten Cloverfield Lane. Not yet, at least. It's it's in there in my watch list somewhere. <laughs> Like, in my head, I have a list of movies I want to watch. That's down there, somewhere. However, he quickly exits the narrative with a little more than a whimper, leaving the audience to wonder if someone couldn't afford his fee. The film's ultimate human villain comes out of nowhere, and only to serve grander purpose of making this an ape-based remake of Apocalypse Now. Okay. I will agree, you know, his death, I guess, you know, again, I can agree that maybe his death did feel like it came out of nowhere. But I felt like he was more than just a catalyst. He was also the man who knew what was going on from the outside, that monsters exist. He was the world-building character. And the human villain Packard he did not came out of nowhere his story was set from the beginning when he was looking as war medals medals he has earned and asking what was even the point he was already set up to be a villain from the get go and it was especially emphasized when Kong killed his men at the beginning, like near, like at the end of the first act of the movie, there was a, there was setup. There was plenty of setup. It did not just come out of nowhere. Let's let's get that out of the way. All right. Make no mistake, Kong Skull Island fails by possessing a script seemingly ran by South Park member, South Park's member Barrys. Oh no. We're going back to the reference argument. (sighs) Okay. Based on the chronic references, Dan Gilroy, Max Bornstein, and Derek Connolly have only seen two movies prior to this, Jurassic Park and Apocalypse Now. Well, we also established that they made a reference to... King Kong 2005 by Peter Jackson So clearly they saw another movie Than just Jurassic Park and Apocalypse Now No, it's funny You were going off It's like, oh, it makes references to so many movies And then you say, oh, but They they clearly only seen Jurassic Park And Apocalypse Now Like, yeah, those are the two Main references, but Come on Name (laughs) Okay Name a modern movie or even a movie in general that where you can't like <clears throat> pick out the reference or at least a main reference. A lot of media nowadays, there's at least one major reference or inspiration. In this movie, it was Jurassic Park and Apocalypse Now. There's nothing inherently wrong with that. I don't get why having references is seen wrong, as something inherently wrong in today's criticism, like in today's art culture, I guess, or media culture, whatever you want to call it. And shoot, I, I lost my train of thought. You know, let, let's continue. And these aren't minor, subtle callbacks either. It's remarkable that Marlon Brando's CGI corpse isn't brought back to say, Welcome to Skull Island. Samuel L. Jackson, whose dialogue is comprised of Samuel L. Jackson's lines, says, Hold on to your butts at one point. See, okay, you know what? It's problem making reference. If it's pandering, if it's pandering, that's a problem. This doesn't feel like a nostalgic pandering. Like, this movie... Like, there's a difference. Like, say... You take the Disney live-action remakes. Those are nostalgic pandering by definition. Especially Lion King and Beauty and the Beast. They, they're they nostalgic pandering. But here, you know... You get... One, it's a giant monster movie. And they're referencing Jurassic Park, which is a very good movie and apocalypse now a movie i have not seen i again under my imaginary watch list but i actually have the movie on blu-ray so i will check it out eventually in the future but you can tell that this is these inspirations were not just oh yeah little you know let's just pan through the this audience who grew up with these movies, I mean, maybe from the executive standpoint, there was an extent to that, but I feel there was more, like, they're, they're referencing those two movies because there was a passion for those movies. I guess I can tell the difference between something that was made or used because it was, like, gave us a passion for the creators versus... Something that's being nostalgic pandering, so, and also to hold on to your butts. Come on, can can't actors have references to the previous roles, especially one you know it's like Samuel Jackson's in another giant monster movie? Yeah, let them say, hold on to your butts. It's a it's a reference, anyway. Other references include chronic callbacks to the decade with Jackson again being hobbled with the line about needing to break on through to the other side. The fact that the song doesn't immediately play is the film's only show of her strength. Well, The music here is the set of world building that this was in the 70s. Like early 70s, I want to say, at the end of the Vietnam War. That was the music that was popular back then. For one. So, let, I think the music complaints, let's, I think that's kind of null void. And again, uh, other, cr- she, okay, so this, cr- she says, you know, and makes other callbacks to other movies, but doesn't specify Those callbacks. And it says to the decade with Jackson. Are you talking about the 2005 Kong? Or are you talking about other movies. Around 2005. That's. I'm questioning that. Especially since you only say. Oh. The writers have only seen two movies. Jurassic Park and Apocalypse Now. Which. You make up your mind. Make up your mind. Have they only seen two movies. That they're only referencing two movies. Or are they just picking every movie. From. Every past decade or whatever. And bring it into this movie. That. I feel like there's. An inconsistent argument being made. Anyway. The fact that this song. doesn't immediately play, oh no! Nope, I already said that, much like the malign, sorry, uh, M-A-L-I-G-N-E-D, I want to say that's maligned, maybe. Suicide Squad, Skull Island hopes you'll buy the soundtrack right after as ever, ever seen is filled with at least two to three Vietnam era songs playing. Again, it's set during the end of the Vietnam War. Of course, those are. uh, Like, in Suicide Squad, the music. Like, the 2016 Suicide Squad. Not the Suicide Squad. We're talking about Suicide Squad. They used popular sound. See, with that movie, that was a. Instance of them trying to copy Guardians of the Galaxy and using popular Songs as their entire Soundtrack Just so Like audience members Be like oh yeah that's a cool Song I like that Song It was like there was sort of No care put into Suicide Squad not the Suicide Squad, 2016 Suicide Squad. The naming of the naming of movie titles are so confusing. God damn it, Hollywood! Anyway, the difference being there's a purpose for the songs used in this movie, and there are moments where there's no like Vietnam era song used. There's original soundtrack being used. Ay, ay, ay. Anyway. Kongsko Island falls into the hole Marvel dug several years ago Which is to say the movie is 90% Building towards a sequel I, Your math is a little wrong It's I want to say it's a 40% Building towards a sequel I think you did some miscalculations there I'll let that slide. I know math is not everybody's greatest subject, but I won't be so nice to the next mathematical error you make. Though the hairy guy should be front and center, Kong seems lost in his own story. Based on the after stinger, there's no hiding the misguided belief that Kong will really come into his own two movies from now. It's a shame, as the Kong character is often misunderstood. And here, he's a little more than a nuisance for the human characters. Oh, okay, did you miss all the scenes with Kong? I feel like you missed all. Little... You missed quite a bit with Kong as a character in this movie. For what? Um... Like he, you know, let's, let's have her finish her thought. He often stumbles into the, into events to either prove the island is large enough for him to never notice them or that the script isn't interested in him. By the time the villain declares war on Kong, the motivations make no sense considering everyone's died at other creatures, hands or claws. I I have a feeling you did not watch any Kong scene. Because again Kong did kill at least seven soldiers at the end of the first act and we saw we can tell maybe Packer did not verbally declare war right after that on Kong but you can tell with that angry stare he was giving at Kong that was a declaration of war. And that was the end of the first act. And of course... And yeah. No duh does... In a logic standpoint... Of course... It doesn't make sense. The other characters in the movie point out... That Packard's motivation doesn't make sense. It's the... But that's the point. Packard is so... Consumed by war and violence. And he has a purpose again. With Kong as his enemy. Fighting Kong gave him that purpose. He's using Kong as a scapegoat. For. His own lack of purpose. That was the point. The point was that it made no sense. And again there was a. Definitely. There was character building. If you listen back to my thoughts on the movie, I went a couple of times where I thought, you know, how I like how they treated Kong in this movie. So this person, they finish off by saying, it's not beauty that killed the beast, but marketing gimmickry, 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 marketing gimmickry. That's interesting vocabulary. Marketing gimmickry. Gimmickry. I, I've never heard anyone say gimmickry before. It's kind of fun to say, not gonna lie. Kong Skull Island is nothing more than a method of continuing Legendary's monster universe. Under when it isn't playing pop culture mad libs, a trip to Skull Island ends up being a pretty but wasted opportunity. Alright, I think that I don't think Kong Skull Island was for was meant for her, clearly. And that's fine, I mean not every movie is meant for everybody, but some of the criticisms, especially like the reference like, I don't get the oh, it make reference like the, I think the weakest argument that critic made was the it references everything but only points out to Apocalypse Now, Jurassic Park, and the 2005 Peter Jackson. It felt very inconsistent, but uh, that that's one of the critics. Let, let's go through three uh, user reviews thankfully a lot shorter as we are yikes this is a long one. Oh boy anyway we'll start off with the one from letterbox give it a half star and it's from elder blurter elder Blurder a half star may seem harsh but i can't remember a time where I was more jaded in a theater than when I saw this movie. Oh, it's one of those, this movie made me so angry. Which, in my response, please. Out, There's a grass outside. Please touch it. There, there's no sense for a movie to make you so angry. Unless it has harmed you in some way. Anyway. The characters suck. The soundtrack sucks. And Kong is just too damn big. <laughs> okay. okay. You know what? <laughs> I, I, Kong, it's not the soundtrack. Okay. I love the rant. The characters suck. The soundtrack sucks. There's just this everything sucks mentality. But Kong is just too damn big. Who complains about a monster being too big? I Usually it's bigger the better. You're telling me they didn't see that giant-ass monkey on that small-ass island when they were flying it? (sighs) To be fair, we don't even know how... Like, it looks small on a picture, but it's probably a pretty big island. Or at least big enough for Kong to hide. Yeah, you have to have a certain suspension of disbelief there, buddy. It's a fantasy movie, after all. And the soundtrack is just awful. I think we established that you don't like the soundtrack. Every time a scene begins with our cast just hanging out, we have to hear another cliche Vietnam rock anthem like Fortunate Son or For What It's Worth. So you don't like Vietnam rock songs. I don't agree with your taste, but you're allowed to have that taste. It's a painful, it's painful stuff to see. Well, you can't really see sound. You can't really see music or or sounds in that matter. So, since you mostly talked about the soundtrack, it's it should be it's painful stuff to hear. I can rant about this pile of trash all day long, but I'll save it. Two big thumbs down for Dong Skull, beep, violent. Dong Skullfuck Island. Oh no. <laughs> but but are are those are those sums too big? I mean you spelled big with all caps. I think that's too those thumbs are too big. So that was Elderbluders. Now let's go with the first One out of ten IMDB review titled I made an IMDB account just to downvote this and this is by Cabo J Sarn This movie is so bad I may I made an account just to express how bad it is. It abuses cliches and has major plot holes. It is like the writers thought having Samuel L. Jackson yell his standard lines is enough for a movie. I want my two hours back. I have already seen every single scene before in another movie. Absolutely nothing original in this piece of garbage. I, l- I love people who just get mad about movies especially it's like oh this movie's me I'm so mad to make an IMDB account yeah you're probably compared to the last one i just read, your your complaints are pretty t- pretty tame yeah sorry you didn't like it but really you you're that mad about this movie okay no 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 Every, ladies, gentlemen, non-binaries, and everybody in between, this is my favorite review from IMDb. 1 out of 10. The title is typical. And this is by Motheng. M-O-Motheng. It See, this is how it's spelled. M o a t h. NG. This is a typical anti-men movie where men are the reason for war, for death, for basically everything wrong in this world. Okay, that's quite a stretch, but continue. I am surprised people think that, don't they know the good deals we've done to this world and to all the creatures who live on it? Humans are not bad, nor are they destroying the earth. The earth is given to us to take care of it and use it for our survival. Instead of just spreading negativity into this world and causing despair, how about showing people are our greatest achievements? Even if we did terrible things, that does not mean shame on all humanity. What what a stretch to make this movie. Anti-war, sure, but anti-men? No, like I, I don't see it. I don't see how the an anti and we're and men are the reason for war, for death, for basically like you have. So people in general are. I don't think a deer caused World War Two. Now. Or I don't think a chimpanzee started the Vietnam War for throwing poo at a soldier. No, uh, people in general, and to an extent, men, since a lot of you know male figures at the time, especially during Vietnam War, were the people in charge. So that's just a historic fact. But this movie is not anti-men as it does. I mean, we see a lot of action. I mean, look at Tom Helson's character. He's the generic action guy, and they promote that to death. They're saying, look how cool that is. That's definitely not anti-men there, buddy. Uh (laughs) <laughs> you just go on this tyrant that about how we are taking care of the earth and all that which I'm not gonna get into but you you will you blow this way out of proportion yeah uh, okay uh so yeah this segment was quite long I think maybe for next time I should not. Find a Critics Review or I should just Take certain segments out And talk about them But this is what my second episode so Live and learn right Anyway that's it for John vs. Critics And Also don't forget to follow me on My social medias I forgot to do that last episode as well, do my own plugins. Uh, right now, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Shin John Snyder, And I'll have links below as well. You can find me on YouTube. I'm recording this ahead of time before I set up all the platforms. So YouTube is definite. This will be on YouTube. I'm aiming for this to be on Google Podcasts, Apple, Music, and spotify we'll see <laughs> but i'm again recording this ahead of time and also again i'll have links down below and thanks for listening i hope you have a very pleasant day on the next episode of john versus film we'll be taking a look at the third installment of the MonsterVerse. This will bring out the passion in John as he gushes on why he loves this film. But beyond that lies the worst review score the MonsterVerse has ever seen. How will John take it? Stay tuned next time to find out.